Well, today, if you haven't noticed, is Easter. And Easter is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, we believe that there was a literal person 2,000 years ago named Jesus. That his mom was Mary, his stepdad was Joseph the carpenter, he was God in the flesh, and that he lived a perfect and a sinless life. He had a revolutionary three-year ministry, and he was crucified by Roman guards after his own people, the Jews, turned on him. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and then on the third day, he rose from the grave. That's what we believe. What better day to look closely at the viability of the resurrection than Easter? See, there are many people out there today that believe that Jesus either faked his death or the disciples faked his resurrection. But this isn't a new problem. Paul faced these doubts of the resurrection of Christ when he confronted the people of Athens with the gospel. We see that in Acts 17, 30. Says the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he shall judge the whole world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by the raising of him from the dead. Now, when they heard of this resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, We will hear again about this matter, but some men joined him and believed. Paul preached about the resurrection and the people of Athens had three responses. Some mocked. Others said, we'll hear again of this. They weren't sure about making a decision. And then others believed and became followers of Jesus too. Those are the three responses that you can have about Jesus. And number two is is an okay thing to do. It's okay to want to hear again about it, but at some point you have to make a decision. See, people do not deny the resurrection based on historical evidence. The historical evidence is undeniable. What they deny is they deny the resurrection based on philosophical evidence. They say it just isn't probable that all this happened. But the fact is, is that improbable things happen all around us every day. The usual suspect is not always the real culprit. In a criminal case, they're required to follow the evidence wherever it leads. And how much more should we do this when we're looking at the evidence for a resurrected Christ? Now, let's just put this out to here, though. The resurrection is unusual, right? It's, it's kind of weird, right? That someone would rise from the dead. And nowadays, we're used to seeing people come back to life all the time on TV. Recently, there was an entire show called Resurrection, and it was all about dead people coming back. But the culture in that day wasn't so desensitized. In their minds, dead people normally stayed dead. But the resurrection of Christ defied odds, and it shattered the expected course of history. Jesus' miracles were signs that he was no ordinary man. They were not magic tricks from someone trying to exploit people for profit. All the miracles give us a glimpse at who God is. Lee Strobel was an award-winning journalist at the Chicago Tribune. He was a graduate of Yale, and he was also a devout atheist when he set out to disprove the Bible. See, what had happened, his wife had recently converted, 
And he wanted to show her that everything that she believed in was ridiculous. He was a serious journalist, and he set out to, uh, with the approach that he was going to follow the story wherever it lead, leads. <clears throat> All he wanted was the truth. And he was going to look at the story of Christ just like he would any other story. Lee's journey and research uncovered overwhelming evidence that he couldn't ignore. Lee accepted Christ as his Savior not long after that, and he has served as a pastor for over 15 years. His journey through the investigation is outlined in the New York best-selling book, The Case for Christ, that sold over 5 million copies. He's gone on to write many other books, including The Case for the Creator, The Case for Faith, The Case for Christianity, and The Case for the Resurrection. And he's become one of the leading defenders of the faith today. I recommend picking up one of his books. But Lee Strobel summarizes the evidence for the resurrection with five E's. The first one is the execution. Jesus died. The Romans were experts at crucifixion. And Roman soldiers were charged under penalty of death to ensure that the victim died on the cross. If the victim didn't die, they would die. And under no circumstances would an individual survive the cross. The Journal of American Medical Association says this, Clearly, the weight of historical and medical evidences indicate that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted and supports the traditional view that the spear thrust between his right ribs probably perforated not only the right lung but also the pericardium and the heart and thereby ensuring his death. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. Jesus died. That's the first proof, the first E, the execution. Jesus died. The second one is the empty tomb. After Jesus' death, he was buried in a tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea, a leader of the Jewish people, a very well-known person. Cambridge professor John A.T. Robinson says that the burial of Jesus was one of the best attested facts that we have about the historical Jesus. He says this fact that he was buried in Joseph's tomb is something that we know for sure. Not only was he buried, but his tomb was empty after three days. The fact that women were the first to witness the empty tomb further proves the, fa uh, the, the fact that this story is not messed up. Why? Because although this seems crazy to us today, the witness of a woman was not admissible in court in those days. And if they were going to fabricate a story, they would have made the first witnesses men to further support their lie. So you have the execution, you have the empty tomb, then you have the eyewitnesses. The strongest historical evidence we have for the resurrection is the eyewitness testimonies of the disciples and more than 500 people at once, 500 other witnesses of a risen Christ. Even scholars skeptical of the resurrection acknowledge that the disciples really believed that they encountered a risen Christ. The change in those early Christians was so drastic that there is no explanation but that they believed that they had seen a risen Jesus. His disciples went from cowering in fear before the resurrection to dedicating their lives and boldly dying for the faith 
and dying for their belief in the resurrection. Skeptic E.P. Sanders acknowledges this fact. He says that Jesus' followers had resurrection experiences, in my judgment, is a fact. What the reality that gave rise to those experiences, I do not know. It's undeniable that they believed that they had seen a risen Christ so much so that they were willing to die for that fact. Number four, E, is the early records. We have more textual evidence for Jesus in the resurrection than almost any other ancient event. The account of the resurrection originated during the time period immediately following the crucifixion event. The gospel accounts of the uh, resurrection were people that were there. Paul wrote Corinthians, uh, the book of Corinthians from Ephesus in the early 50 AD. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 13. He says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. And that's this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. See, these were people that were there, and Paul got his uh, testimony from people that were there. Paul didn't come with this story, up with this story on his own. The resurrection story did not form over time. It is what Christians have always believed about why the tomb was empty and how they saw a risen Savior. As these letters of the account of the resurrection were being circulated on all those people in Jerusalem, they were still alive, people that were there that saw Jesus on the cross. If you were going to start something based on a lie, you would have started it somewhere else other than Jerusalem. All these people were there. They saw Jesus hang on the cross, and yet a church still started there. And the church grew, and it ex uh, exploded. And that's number five, is the emergence of the church. The proof of the resurrection. A final evidence for the resurrection is the formation of the early church. Before the resurrection, nearly all of Jesus' followers had abandoned him. Many had fled for their lives. But then suddenly, his followers came together and formed the Christian church. This group of believers not only uh, boldly proclaimed that Christ rose from the dead, but they centered their lives on celebrating that event every Sunday because that's when Christ rose from the grave. And this is why we have services on Sunday and not Saturday like the Jewish people in their Sabbath. Because Christ rose from the grave on Sunday. Christ broke the old law. And Christians wanted to celebrate the risen Christ at the beginning of every week. And every service should be a celebration of the resurrected Savior. Despite great opposition, the church grew until it dominated the Roman Empire and spread throughout the whole known world. This scared and frightened band of apostles, which was just about to throw everything away in order to flee in despair to Galilee. When, they, uh, when these peasants and shepherds and fishermen who betrayed and denied their master and then failed him miserably. But all of a sudden, they changed overnight into a confident mission society, convinced of salvation, able to work with much more success after the resurrection than before. 
See, no vision or hallucination is sufficient to explain such a revolutionary transformation. These people changed overnight from people that were scared to people that were bold and willing to die for their faith. There were people that had turned their backs on Jesus, that were willing to live, leave their whole livelihood, everything that they had known, to go and proclaim the name of Christ to the whole entire world. The resurrection is a powerful thing. The Bible says that we can take part in Christ's resurrection and the spiritual power that was available to him. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Philippians 3, 10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming more like him in his death. As Christians, the Bible says, as believers, we are crucified with Christ. That means that we, uh, our old ways and our old nature died when we accepted Christ as our Savior. But sometimes we still live in those ways, even though we don't have to. Some of us have dead men driving our lives. I sang this song as a kid. It goes like this. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Is that true of you? Has your life changed? The Bible says there's this resurrection power. We just sang about it a little while ago. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Are there changes in, their, in your life? 1 John 3.14 describes it this way. He says, we know that we have passed out of death and into life. Has your life been changed? See, this religious thing is not just the go through the motion type thing. It is something that, uh, this, following Jesus is something that changes your life. Romans 6, 5 says, for if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we are no longer enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. That is the power of the resurrection. And that's the question for you today. Not just are you a Christian, or not just are you someone that believes in God, but has your life been resurrected? Those old dead ways that you used to serve, the powers of your flesh, and those old habits that you used to have, do they still have you bound? Have they been brought back to life? And we're never going to be perfect, but there ought to be this desire in you to want to do what's right. Your attitude about things, is it dead or alive? Your emotional state, is it dead or alive? Your relationships, are they dead or alive? Your walk with Christ, is it dead or alive? Your prayer life, is it dead or alive? Your Bible time, is it dead or alive? Your activity in your church, is it dead or alive? Your family life, is it dead or alive? Christ did not mean for you to live this life dead and cold. Living in the chains of sin by your old nature. 
1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. It says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection. Let me say that one more time. It says he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You can have hope that all those dead things in you can be made alive by the power of Christ's resurrection. What happened on Easter could change your life. You can trust the one who rose from the dead. I'm not sure what seems dead or hopeless in your life today. But Jesus rose himself from the dead and he can breathe life into your situation too. The old hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Timothy Keller says this, and I'm done. Says if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. We have proof and evidence. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just blind faith. We have real fact to base our hope and life on. So have you put all your hope and all your faith in only what Jesus did on the cross? No amount of good works that you have done, no amount of church membership or something. Uh, your dad was a deacon in the past. None of that matters. All that matters is, is your life resurrected from the dead? Has the resurrection changed your life? Jesus is not dead, and you don't have to be either. You have a living hope. Because of the resurrection. Every head bowed and eyes closed this morning. As the band comes. I want to challenge you to ask yourself that question. Has my life been resurrected? We're not necessarily talking about some type of miraculous experience. It doesn't always happen overnight, but there's got to be a time and a place where you put your faith and trust in Jesus and only Jesus as the only means for your salvation. See, God created this world to be a perfect world, a holy world, no sin, no pain, no suffering, and no death. But God also gave us the opportunity to have a free will. He didn't want us just to be robots at his command. So he gave us a free will, and that means he gave us the choice to choose sin. And Adam and Eve chose sin, and we have again and again and again since that. And that's a problem, because God is a holy God, and he cannot be uh, around sin. He cannot fellowship with sin. Heaven is a perfect place. So we've got a problem. The Bible says, in Romans it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, none of us are good enough. 
There is no cosmic scale in the sky that God will weigh your good works against your bad. And if you're honest with yourself, you even know the fact is that my good does not outweigh my bad. So it's a blessing that there is no scale because the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. What we earn and what we deserve for our sin is death in a place called hell. That's rough news, right? I'm a sinner. I'm not good enough. And I deserve hell. But the story doesn't end there. Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ walked this earth. He lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years. And then he laid down his life on the cross so that an innocent person could die for all of us guilty people. Someone once called it the great exchange. Jesus and his life, his innocence for my guilt. Jesus in my place. That is the gospel. God in the flesh died so that you don't have to suffer that punishment in that place called hell. Isn't that so much better than a scale in the sky? Jesus said, I'll cover the cost. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that you today? Have you done that? Can you go back to a time and a place where you called out to God? You understood that you were a sinner and you could not do it on your own. And you put your faith and trust in only what Jesus died, uh, only on the fact that Jesus died in your place. And you repented from all those things that you used to believe in and all those things you had put your hope in and turned around and put your hope on Jesus. Have you done that? What better day than today, the day that we celebrate the resurrection, this thing that we base all our faith and hope on? What better day than today to do it once and for all? Never again have to be worried about your eternal destination. Never again have to be worried about your relationship with God and whether he loves you or not. Here's a hint. He loves you and he wants you. He wants a relationship with you today. You could put your faith and hope in him right now. You could call out to him right now with something like this. And the words aren't important. You change it however you want to, but what matters is that you're sincere from your heart. It's not a pledge of allegiance. It's not a poem or a magical prayer. It's about what's in your heart. But you can call out to God with something like this right now. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, please forgive me. Turning from my sin, and I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If you made that choice today, 
once and for all, I'm not going to come to you or, or call you to the stage or anything like that. No one else is looking around. You just slip your hand up. You say, that's me, Pastor Phil. I'm not ashamed of what I just did. I'm not embarrassed about it, and I meant it. You slip your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor Phil. No one else is looking around. See that hand? I see that hand as well. What better day than today to make that choice? I just want to be able to pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for the resurrection. God, we thank you that we have a living hope. That we can put our faith in you. God, I don't know how we can make it through this world with everything that's going on and all the pain and the hurt and the addiction and the family problems and the divorces. God, I don't know how we can make it through without you. God, thank you that we have a hope, not just for the next life, but for today. We know that our hope is built on nothing less Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I thank you for those that made that decision today, God. Lord, those that haven't yet, God, I pray that you would, God, just make yourself so known to them. And even right now, that they would call out to you and make that change, make that choice once and for all. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray.